Good morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 18. You'll find that'll be the fourth book of the New Testament. I want to say, echo what Josh said about it's an honor to have some of our mentor families, mentee families here in the service. This ministry has been a blessing to my own life as I have mentored over the last five years as well. And it's just been a blessing. And I think I thank you family for allowing us to have a part in your kids lives and uh, I also want to remind everyone if you're a guest and maybe you've been hanging out here why at some and you would like to know more about our church if you would maybe even want to think about moving towards membership uh, our membership matters class will be offered next Sunday and there's several ways you can sign up for that you can go online and sign up for it um, you can uh, sign up for it out on the sign-up desk out here. We have a, uh, and there's also information there about the class. Uh, you can put it in the uh, connection card that's on the bulletin. You can sign up uh, for it right there and put that in the offering plate when it comes back by uh, at the end of the service, and you would be uh, signed up, and we would send you more information about, uh, about that class. And so uh, I would encourage you to at least take a look at, at Wyatt and uh, who we are as a church and maybe take those steps towards membership. Here at Wyatt, we most often uh, study through books of the Bible together. Um, it's typically what we do, and currently we are in uh, the Gospel of John. Now, the Gospels are four books that open the New Testament that talk to us about the life of Christ, and the Gospel of John uh, is, is considered the most unique. It's the final uh, and, and the fourth uh, in these Gospels, and it's the most unique. And we've been working our way through there. And so today we're, we're beginning chapter 18. And this really signifies a, a big turn in the book because the last several chapters have been Jesus dialoguing with His disciples, preparing them for what was about to happen, about what was going to to go down and, and that he was about to leave them and they needed to be prepared for that. He spent chapter 17 praying for them. Uh, not only praying for them, but also praying for us. And here in chapter 18, we see that things begin to move very quickly towards the sufferings of Christ and we see His arrest this morning. So we want to read verse 1. Start with verse 1 in chapter 18. It says, When Jesus had spoken these words, He went out with His disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which He and His disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed Him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with His disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief of priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am He, they drew back and fell to the ground. So He asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am He, so if you seek Me, let these men go. This was to fill the word that He had spoken of those whom you gave Me. I have lost 
not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and their officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First, they led him to Annas, and he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. As we move through the sufferings of Christ, I want us to understand something from the get-go that I think this text lets us in on. And it's the fact that Jesus is not being swept away in all this. It's not as if this plan isn't going strictly according to plan, right? That this isn't chaotic. That although it's going to look chaotic as He bleeds, as He receives beatings, as He receives all this disrespect, it's something that He places Himself into willingly. It's with absolute willingness because of his, the glory of His Father and, his, and their love for us. So this morning I want us to know that though man resists the plans of God, Jesus sovereignly and willingly chooses to drink the cup of wrath His Father has given Him. First, Christ is sovereign over His enemies that stand against God's plans. We see here that Christ sets Himself on a collision course. For a long time, Jesus has known that His hour was coming, and now He says, my hour is at hand. In the other Gospels, when the soldiers approach Him, He says, He's just very unsurprising. He's very unsurprised by the fact that soldiers are coming to get Him, and He just simply says, the hour has come. My betrayer is at hand. Notice what Jesus has done here. He knows that Judas has gone out to betray him. He knows that that Judas has gone out to gather a group to come back and arrest him. So what does he do? Does Does he go to a garden to hide? Does he go somewhere where Judas doesn't know about? No, he actually goes to a place that Judas is fully aware of, that he would know well. He says in verse 2, Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place for Jesus often met with his disciples. Jesus did not go to the garden to hide. Jesus went to the garden to wait. He spends time in prayer with his disciples, and and he could not be less shocked at the approaching army, so to speak, that's there to arrest him. Can you you imagine conducting a a manhunt for someone who knows what's going to happen before it happens? I doubt even Detective Jared Ardwin could could, could catch somebody who knew what was going to happen before it happens. You're not going to find that guy. Jesus knew exactly where to go 
so that they could find Him to arrest Him, showing that it's fully within His will of what's going down here. And we see that a powerful force is assembled. So it says in verse 3, So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Judas assembles a large army, or at least a small army, a large band of, of people armed with lanterns and, and armed with swords. Just, hey, let's go get this guy. And isn't it interesting? I mean, he's a guy. All he's done is taught. He hasn't hurt anyone physically. In fact, he's been running around healing people. And yet, they bring a violent mob in case things get out of hand. In Matthew 26, verse 55, we see that that Jesus actually kind of pokes fun at this. He says, At the hour Jesus said to the crowds, At that hour Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. Jesus finds it laughable. That they have this mob that's coming after him. It's like, I've just been, I've been out here teaching. And you come at me like I'm a robber? The reality is that Jesus' obedience would have been the same whether it was this force or whether it was Gomer Pyle doing a citizen arrest. Like he was going. They didn't need This, because it wasn't their power that he was yielding to. There was no need for this show of force. He was not coming out of fear of force, but out of a willing obedience to his Father and a love for mankind. And we see here that Christ knowingly and powerfully surrenders. First, he surrenders knowingly. Verse 4, then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, whom do you seek? He knew, he knew the beatings that he was about to endure. He knew that he was going to stand before lawless men that were going to sentence him. And he knew that he was going to carry his own cross after being flogged with whips. He knew that he was going to receive nails on the cross. He knew that, that, his son's, that his father's wrath was going to be poured out on him. And yet it says here, knowing all that, he came forward. Aren't you glad? Knowing all that was about to happen to him, he came forward. Amen? We would be in a horrible predicament if he Patent. We see here that he surrenders powerfully. So how does one surrender powerfully? Is that like a, a moral victory? It seems like an oxymoron. You surrender powerfully by demonstrating that you don't have to surrender. And that is exactly what Jesus does. In verse 6, 
When Jesus said to them, I am He, they drew back and fell to the ground. I love this. This was just the right amount of force. I mean, He could have sent a ray from heaven to just melt one of them. And they probably would have ran for the hills. They probably would have given it up real fast. But instead, he just says, hey, it's me. And they all get put on their rears at once. Now, that probably would have been enough for me to run to the hills. That's pretty spooky, right? But maybe they were thinking, well, it just so happens there was an earthquake, right? When, you know, it just so happens. It's not really him. They have the numbers, they have the swords, they have the clubs, and yet Jesus has the power. Make no mistake, Jesus knowingly and powerfully surrenders, not to a mob of his enemies, but to the will of his loving Father. Jesus also intervenes here to make sure that none of his men are taken, imprisoned, or harmed. There is a definite plan at play here, and it does not include his disciples being arrested or being harmed. I mean, you see here that there's this, this precise plan that's, that's, that's taking place, and it's only, only one person can institute a precise plan. Nothing ever goes according to plan, does it? Unless you're sovereign. And Jesus is making sure in His power that it goes strictly according to plan. So Jesus makes sure that He is arrested, but His men are not. Now, Peter tries real hard to get arrested here, doesn't he? For it is not just Jesus, His his enemies that are trying to intervene to stop God's plans, it's His friends as well. So we see here that Christ is sovereign over His friends that unknowingly stand against God's plan. Look at verse 10. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Peter acted, I believe, with good intentions. I mean, can there... Can there be any doubt? I mean, here's, here Peter has just been able to set under Jesus' teachings. His wonderful teachings. And, and he's been able to watch all these signs. You know, that's what the Gospel of John is all about. It's about these signs. And so, and he's seen these signs. He's seen the healings. He's, he's seen a dead man come back to life. I mean, and, and through all of that, he has come to believe to come to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And in this moment, he sees a bunch of punk soldiers and high priests coming like Jesus is a criminal, like a petty criminal. And so what does he do? He springs in to action. He simply could not sit idly by and let this happen. Had Jesus spent the last several chapters kind of letting them in on what's about to happen? Yeah. But oftentimes, Christians, don't we hear what we want to hear? And the truth that 
this had to happen and this needed to happen had not found its way to Peter's heart yet. And so he pulled out his sword and he hacked away. He swung that sword in protection of his Lord. He swung that sword because he believed Jesus was the Son of God. He swung that sword out of love for his Lord. But despite all the good reasons he could have given to swing that sword, it remained the wrong thing because it was not in obedience with the plan of God. Despite his intentions, despite his good intentions, he was standing in opposition to the will of Christ. Jesus had not come to start a physical war, but to bring spiritual peace. He had not come to kill people, but to give them life. He had already shown in putting the army on their rears that He had the power to stop what was happening. And He was choosing not to use that power. But Peter mustered all the power he had and he lashed out. And people got hurt. Poor Malchus. He probably would have preferred to be somewhere else. He was... After all, a servant. He had no choice but to be there. He was at the wrong place at the wrong time, probably. He had the misfortune of of being the person standing too close to a well-meaning disciple. But despite Peter's good intentions, Malchus's ear came off. This is what happens when we set ourselves against the revealed will of God. We choose to do things our own way. People get hurt. There's a safety when we follow Christ's lead. Sure, that way way may lead to the cross. But it will never lead to chaos. And in that moment for Malchus, it is chaos brought on by a disciple They refused to listen to His Lord. Folks, we can have the best intentions. But if our actions do not line up with the revealed will of God, we will hurt more than we help others. I mean, there's there's people that have had good intentions in the church, right? There are people that said, you know what, this... You know, people aren't real receptive to that whole sin message and, and that whole cross thing. So, I mean, let's just start being nice to people. Let's just say whatever they do is fine. Let's just love people. And it's, their intentions are good. They just want to love people. They do want, to, they want people to know God, but, but maybe not through this thing that called the gospel and And so they dull the gospel, they remove the gospel, and before you know it, they're not a church anymore because they no longer possess the gospel. They no longer proclaim the gospel. There's others with with good intentions. They go out into a world that's standing against God that is doing unholy things, and they go into that world with the sword of God's holiness, letting the world know how horrible they are. 
but they forget to take the first aid kit of the gospel, of grace, of mercy. And so they just go out into the world hacking people because of holiness without coming along and saying, but there's hope in the gospel. Folks, we need to be aware that we can't just swing a sword with good intentions of without realizing that we need to swing that sword in obedience or leave that sword in the sheath in obedience to God. When we hack away, people get hurt. Listen to me just to sum up this point. When we raise our swords with good intent and swing away without thought of obedience, We will leave a trail not of the redeemed, but of the broken. But thanks be to Christ that He can undo what we've broken. He can mend what we've cut. Christ can undo what we have broken in our rash behavior. Luke 22.50, and one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear, but Jesus said, no more of this. And He touched his ear and He healed him. Christ, the great healer, fixed what Peter's rashness had broken. You may be here this morning and, and some follower of Christ has done you wrong. Don't let that keep you from Christ. Those of us who follow Him do not always live up to the standard He has set before us. That's not Him. That's us. He can heal what we have broken. The reality is not one of us has been hurt by the church more than Christ Himself. And He continues to show up, doesn't He? Because it is only He who can set straight what sin has made crooked. So don't let, because some Christian hacked away in disobedience, don't let that keep you away from Christ, the One who can heal. But run to Him. And He'll heal what's been broken. And third, Christ is sovereign as He chooses to drink the cup of God's wrath meant for Him. This is what He says to Peter after Peter gets done hacking. Verse 11, So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? First, I want us to look at the identity of the cup. The first thing we need to ask is, what is this cup? It's a cup that comes up here. It it comes up in the other Gospels when Jesus is in the garden praying, asking God to take the cup from Him. We we definitely, this is a theme. Okay, When something keeps coming up, it's a theme. And this cup is a theme in the death of Christ. It's obviously not a literal cup. It's a figurative cup that conveys truths. The Old Testament often describes a cup of God's wrath. There's many as 15 passengers, passages in Scripture that refer to a cup of God's wrath. And here's a couple. Jeremiah 25, verse 15. Thus the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, 
Take from my hands this cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I'm sending among them. Isaiah 51.17 says, O Jerusalem, you have drunk of the hand of the Lord the cup of His wrath, who have drunk to the dregs, meaning the last drop, the bowl, the cup of staggering. So listen to me, though it's not popular in our time, it is the truth that God is a God of wrath. A God of justice. He is a God who will punish sin. God is absolutely loving. And we'll talk about that in just a moment, but first we must see that love and mercy in the backdrop, the, the backdrop of His wrath. God killed countless individuals in the Old Testament. He wiped out cities because of their sin. R.C. Sproul says this, A God who is all love, all grace, all mercy, with no sovereignty, no justice, no holiness, and no wrath, is an idol. It's no God at all. Make no mistake, God is a God who hates sin. Revelation 14, it also speaks of the cup of this wrath. It says in verse 10, He also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured out full strength into the cup of His anger, and He will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. That's what happens to those who receive the mark of the beast. Understand this, that, that every sin committed, every act of rebellion against God has been, there has been an appropriate portion of punishment that has been added to the cup of His wrath. Make no mistake, every drop of that wrath will be drank. And it will be drunk to the dregs. This is a cup that has been given to Christ. If it's a cup that's it's the cup of God's wrath, then who is the giver of the cup? Who gives, this, who gives Christ this cup? Is it the mob that arrests Him? Is it the soldiers who will mock Him? Is it Pilate who sentences Him? Is it the Roman soldiers who would nail Him to the cross? Is it us because of our sin? No, the cup given to Christ was given to Him by His loving Father. It says here, the cup that the Father has given Me. The Father has given it to Me. Isaiah 53.10 says, Yet it, is, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. One would think this would trouble the Lord. To think that all of the bad that's about to happen to him is coming from a father who is supposed to love him. But on the contrary, Jesus trusts the ultimate, that this is the ultimate outcome of a loving father, not... Not temporary suffering at the hands of evil men. We know He endured the cup of wrath because He knew the glory that it would bring Him and His Father. 
Hebrews 12.2, Jesus the founder and look to Jesus the, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus knew that though the cup was awful, the hands that gave it were wonderful and loving. May we all be able to see the hands behind our bitter cups. May we all see that those bitter cups will lead those hands to give us ultimate joy. We see the recipient of the cup. We've seen the identity of the cup. The giver of the cup is the Father. Now we want to take a look at the recipient of the cup. We see here Christ's absolute willingness to drink the cup of wrath. Is Jesus receiving this cup because He deserves it? No. This cup of God's wrath has been stored up because of sin and rebellion. And Christ has no sin. And Christ has been perfectly obedient to His Father. And so the cup, it's not His. It's not His. And yet, He takes it. It's our cup, folks. It's a cup that all of us deserve to drink. It's a drink it to the dregs. We should drink every bit of God's wrath, and yet Christ took it. Christ took it and He drank of it willingly. Out of His great love for us, He takes the cup. In God's just nature, every drop of this wrath must be drank. And the question is, question becomes, in light of the glory and uh, of the gospel, in light of what Christ has done, the question becomes, who will drink it? It will either be us who deserve it, or it will be Christ who drank it for us. Christ drinks every drop of the cup of God's wrath for those of us who would place our faith in Him. So the decision's very easy this morning. There's a cup of wrath before you. When you think about your life, and you think about your sin, and you think about the times when you've fallen short of the glory of God, and there's a cup of wrath that's stored up for you. And if you do nothing, if you do nothing, you're going to drink of that cup. And you're going to drink every drop of that. But if you will place your faith in Christ this morning, if you will believe in the Gospel, believe that He, that he drank that cup for you, that He endured the cross and the wrath of God for you, and you put your faith in Him, and you run to Him in absolute dependence, then there will be, he's, He will have taken that cup and drank every drop for you, and, and before you will be an empty cup of God's wrath that's then poured full of His goodness.
There will be no more condemnation for you, but only goodness and love from God. Seems like an easy choice to me. Seems like an easy choice to me. But some of you maybe haven't made that choice. And I would commend you to make that choice this morning to put your faith in Christ. Please stand as our musicians come. I'm going to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank You for Christ. I thank You that knowing all of the difficulty that that was going to lay ahead in the next 24 hours of His life, He went into a garden to be arrested. And He went willingly, not not because of man, but because because He loved You. Because you and him loved us. God, I pray if there's anyone here who's not trusted in that love, who've not gone to your son and received that graciousness that he gives, God, I pray that they would do that before they have to drink of the cup of your wrath. God, I thank you for the gospel. God, help us as Christians not to be those that hack away at times with good intent, but help us to be those with good intentions, but also those who operate according to your word and what you have commanded and what you have revealed to be your will. God, move in our hearts this morning through your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. How deep the Father